just want to take a second and recognize our band. Um, they're doing two services today and two services tomorrow, so let's just show them some appreciation for that. <laughs> and kids, you can go ahead and, and be dismissed, so have fun. Man, I love Christmas time. Um, it's something so magical that goes on this time of year, and I've felt it ever since I was a child. Um, in my house, everyone's in a good mood. <laughs> there's lots of good food around, uh, lights are everywhere, and there's lots of family fun opportunities, and I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, feel the same way. But have you ever thought about why we feel this way? I mean, we have other holidays that we decorate for, spend money on, and eat food for, like Fourth of July or Thanksgiving. But nothing has the feel of Christmas time. So today we're going to take a look at the why of Christmas. Last week I read a news article that really fascinated me. Um, the news article covered a debate that happened at the beginning of December in New York City. It was a gathering of some of the best scientists in the United States. The topic of the debate was, does science refute religion? These types of debates have happened many times before. But this specific debate was different because this time it focused on a modern interpretation of God instead of debating fundamental differences like how old the earth is or is evolution, you know, a real thing. Um, the main question of this debate was, has science explained away our need for God? The people leading the debate were all scientists and half of them were believers in God and half of them were not and as the discussion went on, certain topics were covered, such as how neuroscience can kind of explain some of the brain changes that happen that might make us feel more spirituality, and the Big Bang Theory as the beginning of the world. But the final arguments were what rang the most true with the crowd. See, they pulled the audience ahead of time to see who um, acknowledged a belief in God and who didn't ahead of time. Um, the strictly science side said at the end that there is now a plausible explanation for how the world came into existence. To quote one of the scientists, he said, Science has taught us we don't need God to exist. But the believing side ended with this point. Science can show us some of the how, but it can never explain the why of existence. And this point changed a good percentage of the crowd's opinion about whether God could possibly exist. See, the question of why is something that rings true in our human hearts it's, it's one of the first questions kids ask their parents as they're growing. I think I hear that question 25 times a day. Um, and it's something we cry out when things go wrong in our life. It's a question we ponder inside of ourselves about emotions, actions, and outcomes. And I think the question of why about Christ's birth is part of what makes Christmas feel so magical to us, so exciting and wonderful. There are many things I love about the how of Christ's coming. We've talked about some of those things this year. Um, how God chose to send his son into the world is nothing short of amazing. He picked a poor girl, a scandalous pregnancy, a small town, a not-even-rented room, and a lowly baby. Something I read this week said that, family, that the family Christ was born into was so poor, they owned neither the place where he was born nor the place where he was buried. God could have chosen to send his son to a rich family, a respected family, a big city, a palace, or another more comfortable time period. All of the hows of Christmas lead us to learn much about the heart of God, and clearly he made some very deliberate choices to send us a message. But why did Jesus come to earth? Well, the obvious and most important reason is that he came to redeem mankind. 
We know that all men are sinful and fall short of God's glory, and to reconcile God to man, a sacrifice needed to be made. We could not save ourselves, and God, in his amazing grace and mercy, provided a sacrifice for us in the person of his son, Jesus. And that should be enough to the answer of the question for why. Don't get me wrong. John 3.17 says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There was no alternative. We'd be hopelessly lost without someone to save us from our sins. But there is more to the answer, almost like bonus answers to the question of why God sent Jesus that show us even more about the character of God. As I thought about this, I thought about how if it was just about the sacrifice, God could have sent Jesus as a baby and then had him sacrificed right then, or maybe given him a few years to live as a child and then, and then ended his life. So why did he send him to live for 33 years among us? Well, one answer could possibly be his words. He came to bring us a lot of great messages. Um, you know, he, we have so much to learn from the things he said while he was on earth. But God had spoken to his people for centuries before Jesus came, so his words alone don't fully answer the question of why. Another possible answer are the miracles and healings and other signs he performed. But again, those signs could have happened with him safely in heaven. I myself turned 33 years old this past June, and I immediately realized that I was the same age that Jesus was when he was crucified. We know a lot about his birth, and we know about a lot about what happened after he came on the scene at age 30 to be a rabbi and a teacher, we don't know a lot about what happened in between. However, the Bible tells us this in Hebrews 2. It's Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. I'm going to have several verses and quotes up on the screen today, and I'm going to ask Todd to leave them up there for a few minutes. And as you have your program, if you would just pick one that speaks to you today and kind of write that down, and we're going to have some reflection time at the end. So just want to give you a heads up on that. So anyway, it's, this says at some point in his life, Jesus faced all the same testings that we do. So we know he went through all kinds of stuff that isn't written down. As I pondered the idea of why God sent Jesus to earth, I kept on thinking about those 33 years, 33 whole years as a human being, exactly how old I am. I began to think about all the things that have happened to me in my time on earth so far. All the events, all the struggles, um, all the experiences, things I've gone through. Part of me wishes that we knew a lot more about the specifics of those years between the child and the adulthood. But if you really sit and think about all the possible things he could have gone through, it's pretty amazing. Every day for us holds new experiences, and we can assume that Jesus' days were also full of them. Sometimes I like to use my imagination and think about the possible things he went through. Disagreements with siblings, teasing from kids at school, mundane things like pimples and <laughs> struggles with, you know, whatever like that, um, sadness over watching people make bad choices. We can't know exactly what he went through, but we know if it's something we have faced, he experienced it too. And as I asked why, one of the thoughts that crossed my mind was that while my imagination can try and fill, the, fill in the blanks of all the experiences Jesus had as a human, he was still God. He didn't need to come here to understand everything or to have those experiences. We're talking about the infinite, all-knowing creator of the universe. He didn't have to come here to understand human emotions. He created those emotions. No, he didn't have to come here to have those experiences himself. But would you truly believe he knows how you feel inside if he hadn't come? Would you believe he knows what it feels like to be rejected if he hadn't come and been abandoned by his best friends at the hour of his need? 
Would you believe he knows the pain of physical suffering if he hadn't been tortured and killed violently? Would you believe he knows what it feels like to be sad, to weep for a friend, to be lonely, to cry out to God, and countless other things you feel on a daily basis if he'd never left the safety and peace of heaven to come and be with you? See, he didn't come here so that he could understand. He came here so we would believe he understands. One of the very first names we heard for Jesus before he even came was Emmanuel, which means God with us. This name was given to Jesus 700 years before he came to the earth by the prophet Isaiah. Of course, God was always with his people in spirit, but by sending Jesus, he came to be in it with us. He wasn't just with us in a physical sense, he came to be with us emotionally too. In that sense, when we talk about being with someone, it doesn't just mean you're standing next to him. You know, it means that when you are with someone, you're standing beside them, you're supporting them, you're encouraging them with what they're going through, and you're on their side. When someone says, are you with me, in one of those motivational speeches, it means, do you know what I mean, and do you agree to move forward with me? Humans are wired to want someone with them. We're somehow wired that we automatically bond with someone who's gone through the same stuff we've been through. Think about it for a second. Think about something that you've gone through that's a hard struggle in your life. And then think about when God brought someone who had been through the exact same thing to your life and what that feeling was like. You guys could nod your heads in agreement and look into each other's eyes and see that they, that person understood you. It happens all the time. Um, you know, with women, a big thing is having children. When someone is in the beginnings of pregnancy and shares that they're feeling nauseous, countless women nod their heads and go, oh yeah, I know what that feels like. You know, or trying to get your kids to bed every night, parents, you know, something, you have another parent like, oh man. My kids were up till 10.30 last night. You know, you know how that feels, and you can nod your head along with it. It's why we have support groups for all kinds of things. We have support groups for addictions, for grief, for disabilities. Because knowing that others have been where you are, it's a comfort and it's an encouragement. So God knows that about us. He made us that way, and it's a big answer to why he came and stayed with us for so long. So we would believe he knows. So we could feel his comfort in our struggles and grief, and we could see he was truly with us. He was on our side. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says, Therefore it was necessary for Jesus to be in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. He then could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and temptation, he is able to help us when we are being tempted. He wasn't just physically present with people 2,000 years ago. He came to be with us in our humanity, even our present-day humanity, to remind us we are not alone. So part of my question today is, do you believe that? Do you believe that he came not just to be with humanity in general, but to be with you? So many times we read things in the Bible or we hear phrases that sound kind of nice and we like the idea of them, but we don't fully accept that it is truly about us personally. He came to be with you. You sitting here today with your mess in your life, with your confusion, with your questions, and with your mistakes. Kind of shared with Bob what my topic was going to be today about my message, and, and he asked me, what is it for you? And I said, this is what it is. I can have confidence that he is standing with me in my mess every single day. He knows how I feel and is compassionate towards me. He's there when my kids are acting crazy and I feel like I'm going to lose my mind or when my husband and I don't communicate well. Though he was without sin, the Bible says he understands the temptation I face to lose my temper. He is for me, and he is with me. 
Another quote I read this week by J. Sidlow Baxter says, In Jesus, God looks on us through human eyes, beckons to us with human hands, calls to us through human lips, walks towards us with human feet over life's troubled sea, sympathizes with us through human susceptibilities, and feels after us with a divine love which now beats through a human heart. If that can fully hit you, what it means for the Lord of the universe to come so he could be near to you, to be with you in your struggles, that should cause some kind of response in you. It does in me. Usually it starts with tears, then the desire to act in response to that. See, he came to be with you so that you could then be with others in their struggles. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any troubles with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. One of the calls of Advent Conspiracy is to enter the story, meaning that you can be a part of the Christmas story today in our era. And I don't mean by insisting to people that Jesus is the reason for the season or by getting mad at people who just say happy holidays. I mean by taking the fullness of your heart and knowing that Jesus came to be with you and then going to be with others. Every one of the organizations we highlighted this year are about going to hurting people and offering them something in Jesus' name. And Aaron gave a great explanation of those organizations. But we have all kinds of excuses for not going to be with others in their struggles. Mission trips are scary. We're too busy to make sandwiches for kids. We don't have the money to adopt an orphan child. But Jesus left the comfort of heaven and made a huge sacrifice to come be with us. I heard a quote this week that said, the wood of the cradle was made from the same wood as the cross. We think of Jesus' big sacrifices being on the cross, but it actually started with the manger. God could have made any number of excuses why this was not how he was going to save the human race. And he certainly could have sent Jesus in an easier, neater, cleaner, more comfortable circumstance. But he didn't. He, choose to, he chose to make himself nothing. Do we ever choose that for someone else? Do we ever choose to really give up things for ourselves in order to go and be with people in their struggles? This passage from 2 Corinthians really struck me this week. I can't believe I've never read it before. I probably have. It just kind of left my brain. It was written to the church in Corinth, but it really applies to us at Wellspring, I feel. It says... <clears throat> long, sorry. Um, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. We've spent time this year and in years past with Advent Conspiracy bringing to the forefront, forefront the reality of the lack of equality in our world and how that is nothing short of ridiculous. What my children have versus what children in other parts of the world have is just ludicrous. My kids have safety, food, water, clothes, a warm house, not to mention great education, access to medical care, and a family who loves them at all times. But their disparity, the disparity between them and other kids and kids in other countries goes beyond that. Take the, just the clean water, for example. My son um, likes those water flavoring drops, 
He doesn't like to just drink plain water, so I buy those flavoring drops for him to put in his lunchbox, you know, with his, with his water. So he gets water that tastes even just a little bit better, and it's clean, and it's healthy for him. But right now, there's not just one child, but many children dying because they have to drink dirty, disgusting water that poisons them and kills them. I'm guilty of forgetting about that. That is not equality. There's nothing even close to it. And that's one reason that I am so excited about Wellspring and we get so excited about Advent Conspiracy every year because we can all join together and help reduce some of that inequality by giving up minor things to help give significant help to people who need it. Like that verse said, I feel like people here have been eager to give and that's exciting. We've entered the story to be with people and their suffering and I'm constantly moved and encouraged by this community of people. It seems like every day I hear about someone going to another person to help them whether it's just to bring a meal to someone who's sick or to offer some support and encouragement for a trial someone's going through, to sacrificing material things so they can donate money to help others with their basic needs. So many people here get it, and I love that. And I think that's what makes me love Christmas so much more, that magical feeling I talked about in the beginning. It's that it is nothing short of miraculous, that Jesus sacrificed everything to come be with us, and that moves so many of us to go be with others. And it's amazing. And like that verse said, I'm excited to let us continue to be eager to do this work that's going on. So right now as I close, I'm going to ask you to take a few minutes and just reflect on what God has been trying to say to you through this Advent season and through today. Maybe this is the first year you've experienced anything like this in the celebration of Christmas. Or maybe you've been pondering these things for many years. Either way, we should take some time to reflect on what it means that God himself became humble to come and be with us so we could be with others. And furthermore, to reflect on how that has changed you, not just for Christmas time, but for your, your own year-round perspective on Christ. I'm going to leave you with this quote, and then we'll have a few minutes of silence before I pray to close. Christmas shows us that God is not just concerned about spiritual problems, but physical problems too. So we can talk about redeeming people from guilt and unbelief, as well as creating safe streets and affordable housing for the poor in the same breath. Because Jesus himself is not just a spirit, but also has a body. The gift of Christmas is a passion for justice. Lord Jesus, nothing feels as good to me as knowing that you came to be with me. I'm so grateful for that, Lord, and I'm grateful that it's true for every person here. Thank you that we have so much joy in that in this season. And I just thank you for the wonderful, magical feeling it has when we ponder that, just knowing that the Lord of the universe came as a humble baby to be with us and to walk among us for so long. Help us, God, to not forget that. Help us to be moved on behalf of other people, in response to that, to go and be with them.
Thank you for this church and for the amazing people that go to church here and, and around the city that are passionate about the same things. And we just ask that you would continue to make us eager to do more. Thank you for today. Thanks for tomorrow. Thanks for everything you do. Amen.